works be Father. May the Lord be in your heart and your mind and on your lips and your famous holy gospel of the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus passed through towns and villages, teaching as he went, and making his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few people be saved? He answered them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will attempt to enter but will not be strong enough. After the master of the house has arisen and locked the door, then will you stand outside knocking and say, Lord, open the door for us. He will say to you in reply, I do not know where you are from. And you will say, We ate and drank in your company, and you trod in our streets. Then he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, you evildoers. And there will be wailing and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and the west, and from the north and from the south, and will recline the table in the kingdom of God. For behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The regulars are all holding their breath right now because they know that when I preach from the chair, it means listen up. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do was last May when I was sent by the bishop to the Basilica to cancel the Spanish Mass that had been going on there for something like 30 years. It wasn't that I was uh, conflicted about the decision. When Father Ronaldo made the decision to return to El Salvador, it meant that we hadn't changed where and when Spanish masses happened, and there were a lot of good reasons that was the one that had to go. But I knew that a lot of people would be hurt by the decision, and I knew that some of them might leave the church. And as a priest, when people leave the church, that grief. Also, I was just scared. Because <laughs> people get mad at you, and then they yell at you after church, and it's a very difficult situation when you have a bad temper yourself and people start yelling at you, you're very tempted to say things that you really, really shouldn't back. So I went in prepared, forewarned and forearmed. 
I had an answer to every question I thought anybody could possibly ask about this change in the mass schedule. I worked on this parish announcement longer and harder than I ever have on a homily. I had a kind of Q&A built into the announcement. Why is the bishop doing this? Because of the pre-shortage and the need to spread the Spanish masses throughout the city. Where will we go to pray? There's all kinds of places. You can certainly still say here, Our Lady of the Americas down the street, St. Anthony and Christ the King would both be very happy to have you. What are we supposed to do with X, Y, Z? Here's what you do with X, Y, Z. I had it all laid out. It was real clear. And I said it loud and clear in the announcement. And after Mass, like a hundred people lined up to ask me the same three questions over and over and over again. Except one. There was one old man who was in the back, an old man known to many of us. He's missing most of his teeth, so he's hard to understand in English or in Spanish. But what he said to me was what's written on the inside of your bulletins this week. ¿A dónde iré a ver? Where will I go to serve? That's a good question. And it reveals a very different understanding of what church is than was being expressed by the people asking the other questions. Now, I'm not saying they were all bad people or something like that. That's not the idea at all. And I understood in that moment, as soon as he said it, they couldn't help but ask those questions because they weren't really after information. They were just venting their frustration at the situation they didn't like, which, let's be honest, I do to my staff almost every day. So I understand that. But this question, where will I go to serve, that tells us something much more important about what the church is. See, church means a lot of different things for a lot of different people, right? For some of us, especially here at a place like Christ the King, church is home in like a literal sense. We were born down the street. We were baptized here and raised here. Half of our relatives are here with us every Sunday. We went to the school, we went to Dowling or Lincoln, we've got all these connections. This is our home. We still live a block away or something, right? For others, church is a kind of a social hub. It's the network of my relationships. It's what organizes most of my friendships. The people that I hang out with when I hang out with people are people from church. There's nothing wrong with either of these. For other people, it might be, this is where my kid goes to school. And so we go to church there because there's a church attached to it. And so we go at least some of the time. But it's like, it's largely a school thing. And to be fair to all the school families, they're here a lot of the time that none of the rest of us are that are here on the weekends and the other way around, right? They're dropping kids off in the morning and at night. They're coming in for practice and, 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 and all sorts of activities that are happening mostly in the hours when the church stuff ain't. And so you've got a whole bunch of people that have different impressions about just what this parish thing really is. For a lot of us, at least at times in our life, I think what church mostly is, is a kind of a, a religious mercantile. It's the place where we go to get religious goods and services. You know, you, you, you throw your five or ten bucks in the plate and you expect a mass contained neatly within an hour that has at least a reasonable, non-offensive homily, music that is not too bad, and people that are not too unpleasant, right? That, that's what we got. And then 
those rare occasions when you need special attention, wedding, funeral, baptism, well, we might throw a couple hundred extra at Father because we know we're asking a little much. Sometimes we as a church even act this way. We set up our structures to reflect this, right? So in almost everything we do, we have two rates, right? The in-parish rate and the out-of-parish rate. Want your kid to come to the school? Well, are you a registered parishioner? Doesn't matter how much you get, but are you a registered parishioner? Got an in-parish rate, out-of-parish rate. You want to rent the hall? Well, well uh, are you a registered parishioner? It's going to cost more if you're not a parishioner. Now, if we were really doing church right, right? If we were really outward-facing rather than inward-facing, you'd actually be giving the discount to the people on the outside as a way to hook them in, not simply as a way to do justice to the people on the inside who have already contributed, say, to the hall or to the school because of tithing. Don't get nervous. I'm not changing the policy tomorrow. But that's the kind of thing that I do want us to start thinking about. Because I think that too often, too many of us treat this place, and not just Christ the King, but the church in general, as a kind of religious country club, or like a Costco. I pay my membership fee, which is what goes in the plate or what gets debited from my account, and I expect a certain amount of goods and services in a semi-reliable way when I want them. And on that score, God forbid the priest or anybody else from up there tell me no, or not like that, or challenge me, because I've paid for it. I own you. I've had people use those words with me. I let myself lose my temper at that point. You see where I'm going here, gang? Is that, is that what that old man at St. John's had in mind was something much closer to the church's vision of herself. Now, it's certainly true, we're not just a social service organization. And I'm not, I don't think he was either, uh, indicating that this was just about like uh, running soup kitchens or something. But where will I go to serve both means sort of odd intra inside in the church, the stuff that we do here at church, and odd extra outside, the stuff that we do in the world. But that only works, it really, I promise, because I am on the inside trying to run the thing, it only works if everybody does their part. When I was a little boy growing up at St. Teresa across town, there was a beautiful woman who taught kindergarten at the public school across the street. Her name was Charlotte Parks. And Mrs. Parks had taught half the neighborhood, right? And, uh, and, and so even those of us that didn't have her for, for kindergarten called her Mrs. Parks. But as soon as Mrs. Parks was done with school, she walked across the street to St. Teresa. I think she worked another six or eight hours. She wasn't ever paid for it, but she did everything. She was on the parish council and the finance council and the building and grounds and the board of ed for the school that her kids didn't go to because they went to the public school. She, uh, she sang in the choir and she cantered at mass and uh, times you'd even see her with a broom and, and, and a shovel. So finally, one day, she'd had a stroke from exhaustion and Father Koch saw her out there trying to sweep something up and she couldn't do it very well she had a stroke, right? And he said to her, Mrs. Parks, nobody should do everything. Everybody ought to do something. Nobody should do everything, but everybody ought to do something. See, the play here, gang, is, is not that I'm just trying to like drum up membership for the country club. That's the exact opposite of what I'm trying to do. But I do need volunteers we all need volunteers, and I especially need 
Here's who I'm talking to most. If you're here every Sunday, or at least most every Sunday, and you do help financially, but you've just never done anything, or you're not connected to any organization in the parish, you're the ones I'm talking to, because you're the ones that I need. We've got a solid core on the Anglo side of maybe 25 or 30 volunteers, and on the Hispanic side of maybe 40 or 50 volunteers. And pretty much, they run the parish. It's the same people. And it has been the five years that I've been here, with a few additions, of course. A parish our size, that really should be more like 400. Like, we should responsibly, reasonably have 350 or 400 people ready to dedicate time, talent, and treasure, ready to dedicate their energies toward this goal. And that goal, make no mistake, is not reputation, it's not building, it's nothing even that externally can really be validated, except in this. The conversion of everyone we meet to the Lord Jesus. That's the whole kit. The relative success of any particular ministry can only really be measured by the way in which it has helped people to encounter Christ. And that's why all the things that we do as a parish have to be measured up against that criteria. Is this bringing people closer in, or is it somehow getting in the way? Now, a lot of what we do is more remote, right? So we get kids in the school, and we teach them all kinds of things in the school so they can be in an environment where we can teach them about Jesus. Good. We run a clinic so that we can help take care of people's physical needs. And we hope that while they're here, they hear something about Jesus. Good. That's obviously less direct than, I don't know, like a CCD class or marriage prep or something. But if we're not, each of us, on our own, introducing people to the Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter how many classes we teach. It doesn't matter how many hospitals we run. It doesn't matter how many apartments we build. If it's not bringing people to Christ, it's not worth it. Full stop. Now, here's the good news. Uh, The people at the Basilica did not stone me. Far from it, uh, about eight weeks later, we actually had the last Spanish Mass at the Basilica. Father Ronaldo had left, and the last Mass was the weekend after he'd already gone back to El Salvador. So guess who had to go celebrate the last Mass of the Mass that he had canceled on behalf of the bishop? And I was scared again, because I don't like getting yelled at, and I'm afraid of saying something I'll regret. And I didn't need to be afraid at all. Because every family that was at that last Mass, and there were several who, like, clearly had brought extended family that had been away for a while or had started going to the English Masses, every family lined up after Mass and wanted to take a picture to commemorate the end of this thing that had been going on for 30 years or so. That seemed very reasonable and was sweet and endearing. And, and, and so I very carefully skittled back to the sacristy so that it wouldn't be in their way. No, Padre. You have to be in the photo too. Because you're part of this. There is no one here, even a visitor just in for the fair, who is not potentially a part of Christ the King. There is nobody who walks in the door of that church, including my friend the rabbi, who is not a potential disciple of Jesus. 
Whether they stay, what we become, well, that depends on you.